Blog Talk Radio. Have you been deceived by Satan's SS Officers Corps? Have you had the wolves pull over your eyes by these self-sustaining shepherds with cunningly devised fables? Things like the rapture, the antichrist, and replacement theology? Then welcome, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the one place where all of these cunningly devised fables are laid waste. You have come to the one place where you can find the information concerning what is to come. The End Time Tribute. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the End Time Tribune, very special edition. The sign of war in the heavens, 2018. Well, I'm going to tell you the tale of me sending uh, Brian some information. This has been kept underneath very tight lip. So far, only three others other than myself knows of this sign that's going to occur during the blood moon. We'll also be in conjunction with Mars in opposition. You can find information on this separately. Go to the Mars Opposition 2018. You'll find all kinds of information. Go to the total lunar eclipse, July 2018. You'll find all kinds of information. You will not, however, be able to find anyone who's put two and two together except right here. We are going to cover this isochronally speaking. I found this information, passed off the dates to Brian, and I said, take a look and see at these dates. What can we reckon with historical events that God has put into play with the times this sign has occurred in the sign of the capricious suns. With that in mind, get your trays to the upright positions, fasten your seatbelts, ladies and gentlemen, because it may very well be a wild ride. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the End Time Tribune. Riddle me this. Will you need your hinds feet in heaven? And tell me if you can. Will you be given the wings of an eagle so you can fly to heaven? Let's get this started with a kick, shall we?
Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this special edition of the End Time Tribune this May the 30th, 2018. Well, Brian, why don't you uh, describe to the listeners uh, what you thought about this sign when I first sent it to you? Uh, describe your initial thoughts before having looked at it isochronally speaking throughout history. What was your initial thought in the background of all the well news we have been covering, especially the news you've been covering about Ukraine and and the kings of the East and and uh, Uzbekistan and and Armenia, Georgia. Your thoughts. On what you felt when you first took a look at this sign. Well, you know, that's a tricky one. Uh, maybe I should state why beforehand, because maybe I should put this right at the beginning of the show. I'm, to be quite honest, a little bit leery of going into these areas due to the fact of what the... Uh, Infamous bad shepherds have been pulling nonstop because each and every time something happens here in the heavens, they want to immediately jump to their atypical spot of claiming we're about to be whisked away into the air. And when I uh, have something come across my desk like this, as of recently, I uh, I tend to get a little apprehensive about putting information out there along these lines because of the fact that, as we saw, especially since uh, last year was September, I believe it's 23rd off the top of my head of 2017, you know, prior to that leading up to it, it just, one thing after another after another, everybody was running around claiming the rapture was going to be that day. Then they ended up looking like complete and absolute fools and you know, they would all disappear for a little bit, but the masses wanted them all back. So they came back and they keep making their completely uh, ridiculous, what do you call it, predictions over and over and over again on a continual basis. And I went to go take a look around on a couple of days ago here to see if anybody had been saying anything about what is happening here with this upcoming eclipse. And of course, once again, I run into a few different ones that, to put it quite plainly, you look at the work they're doing, they have no clue of what they're talking about to the point where it's just absolutely ridiculous. Now, we talked about this time and time again in the past that everybody sits down and they make their atypical timeline. And you have one factor in the equation that always throws everything into disarray. And we don't flat out that God's not the author of confusion. And as you progress along, you begin to realize that offending factor that keeps throwing all these timelines into disarray isn't supposed to be in the timeline in the first place. Or, as I've stated in the past, uh, the time circle. And that's, uh, you know, my first take when something like this is brought to my attention because it's well, let me just, just come become out of, an absolute nightmare out there. Go ahead. 
so you're saying that the people have taken a look at this eclipse. Did any of them see what was happening uh, at the exact same time? Did any of them mention the planet Mars at all? That, look, they didn't mention anything that had anything to do with the price of beans in China. And what's rather inter- interesting about this is the uh, shadow and silhouette of what I uh, pulled up, as far as isochronally speaking, right in their tablets, they mentioned the price of, well, something very important. But no, they didn't, they didn't mention any of the above. They ran around with the atypical, just nonsense. Absolutely complete nonsense. It was so ridiculous, I couldn't even believe what I was looking at. It's just, that's all these people care about. And it really gets to the point where you just get sick and tired of it. Uh, yes, you do. Um, I took it. Take it that. Did any of them mention which sign in the heavens that this is even in? Did they take now, note look, of? Look, like I said, <laughs> they didn't mention anything whatsoever that made any kind of sense. They didn't mention anything about outside of the fact that it's a lunar eclipse, and we should have our quote unquote. Well, this might be it, but you know, folks, the dates that they were stating beforehand. Once again, within this year, they've already come and gone, so they keep putting out new predictions. But no, they have no idea where any of this is happening, what anything that's involved whatsoever, let alone even the what to be looking for in the ground. They all, it's all based off, oh, we count these dates. Okay, now we're going to go try to find something that we can try to make our baloney case off of. It was nonsense. Well, it would stand to reason that they wouldn't have the wherewithal to realize that this is the sign of the capricious sons as it's put in Isaiah chapter 3, verse 4. So I will choose their punishments, and I will bring on them what they dread, because I called, but none answered. I spoke, but they did not listen. And they did evil in my sight, and choose that which I did not delight. Well... Ladies and gentlemen, you have to understand that what's being said is incredibly important. That Hebrew word being the ta'aluim, the capricious children. So, ladies and gentlemen, it's, it's very important that... That verse, when you look in, well, the New American Standard Bible states it correctly. Isaiah chapter 3, verse 4. And capricious children will rule over them. This Hebrew word, H8586, also occurs in Isaiah chapter 66, verse 4. Well, there's no way to get to this word because, well, there is no translation that states it properly. The KJV reads, I will choose their delusions. No, that is the Hebrew word ta'aluim. It means capricious in the English language. This sign in the heavens, everybody knows, is a sign of the Hamsharatim. It is half goat, 
the goat part is clearly described for you in Amos chapter 9 as to why God is so irritated with them. And he numbers them, he marks them for slaughter, Revelation chapter 7. But ladies and gentlemen, when you take a look at this, you have to be blind as a bat if you're even presuming to talk about this eclipse. And at the same exact moment in time, it's in conjunction with Mars. Now, it's one thing if you cannot see with your eyes that Mars is the brightest it's been in, I don't know, I think uh, last technical data I looked at was 17 years. It hasn't been so bright because it's closer during opposition, of course. But look all this up for yourself. So if these shepherds have not pointed out the ramifications of this, and more importantly, the sign that precedes it exactly 30 days later, which is also mentioned to play part and partial to the ramifications of what happened in ancient times. So... With that in mind, this is pretty serious that it's common knowledge what Mars is. There's no consternation with that. Mars is a sign of war. This being in opposition and conjunction with the moon during a blood moon is absolutely off the charts being its placement in the heavens. Now… Brian and I really don't need to bring anybody up to speed about the current global warfare stance the world has undertaken. I mean, even here recently, um, even search Sweden in the news. They just released a pamphlet just out of the blue warning all of their citizens to be prepared for war. I had no idea that that was going to be one of the isochronal events tied directly to this sign in history. But it is. It is, ladies and gentlemen. And it's off the charts to take a look at. It really is when you realize that this sign occurred in the capricious suns back when well a time when I was under the assumption that Sweden was a very peaceful place however ladies and gentlemen come to find out uh, no that's not exactly the whole case That's not everything, and if your shepherds are ill-qualified to speak about the, such things, you should turn them off because they're self-sustaining shepherds. The Lord has warned you about them in Ezekiel chapter 34 because you're, you have to be blind as a bat if you bring up the topic of the total lunar eclipse July 2018 and not see what's staring you right in the face. And I'm just saying that point blank. You're just not qualified 
you shouldn't be speaking about it. So when I take a look at history and I look, I start consulting uh, the astronomical information and look to July 1655 and take note that Mars was in opposition there July 21st and know its position in the heavens. I don't like to play. I want to know exactly where it was at because that technical data, ladies and gentlemen, you can't get to just the, – the records don't go that far back with the constellations. They'll only tell you where it was at in the heavens as far as right ascension is concerned. So you have to really know your stuff. But when you look back to that date, and it stares you in the face, then you go to the next time these two signs line up, and you see other monumental wars being played out, it'll chill you to the bone. Because the Lord your God said this, he chases after that which has been. And when you take the technical data with just one event in the heavens... A lunar eclipse conjuncting with the planet Mars in the sign of the capricious suns, and you get two massive hits. That's troubling. So, looking back in history, we can even go farther back in history because Brian's going to put some stuff on the table that Quite frankly, he's going to rattle your cage. But before we get there, I'm going to state that again. Whatever shepherds you're following, if they mentioned the blood moon eclipse July 2018 without mentioning the greater sign that occurs right in the same exact moment. So I don't care what what type of astronomy program they're using to look, but if they couldn't see that Mars is right there and do a search and find out that Mars was in opposition and find it all over the uh, – ladies and gentlemen, you're going to find it all over the news. You just are. It's, it's going to be all over the news. I mean I can bring it up right here. Uh, Space.com already put up an HTML on it. Earth sky, Mars brighter in 2018 than since 2003. In the sky, Mars at opposition. NASA, Mars close approaches. Mars also, the event on NASA has its own page. MarsNASA.gov. So if they didn't see this, you need to turn them off and run as fast as you can because they're blind as a bat. Now, I understand if they don't know anything about the capricious suns, they do not know Hebrew, and they do not know the Ta'aluhim. I understand all of that. I understand if they're not familiar with H8586. I understand that. Why it is 
that this sign even exists? Why does the strange character, why does this goat have its feet planted firmly on the ground, and yet its tail frolics in the firmament of the heavens? If you don't know that, it's probably because you have had the wool pulled over your eyes by a cunningly devised fable. Because you're going to go through the great day of he who sitteth upon the throne during the sixth seal event way before you ever see anything of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you don't know that, having read Isaiah, Jeremiah, <laughs> Lamentations, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, I don't know what to tell you. You are not qualified to be speaking. You need to go get what God said. That's what you need to start studying and not cunningly devised fables that God forewarned you about. So with that in mind, let me pass that back to Brian this this sign that uh, accompanied <laughs> a war in 1655 and when he comments about it let's, I'm just going to ask him is anything happening in Sweden or is it nice and boring more importantly, the area that Sweden had an incident with back in 1655 is all calm and peaceful there right now. Because I'm here to tell you, I won't even ask anybody else. Look, look, you all need to understand, I know some world-renowned investigative reporters. I wouldn't ask nobody that question except the bri. <laughs> I wouldn't ask nobody else, and that's a fact. So, Brian, what is your thoughts on events surrounding this lunar eclipse in conjunction with Mars in opposition in the sign of the capricious suns, 1655? What, what did you find concerning those things? Well, I would... Uh say that it wasn't me that found those things, but that's sort of, uh, I guess, besides the point, but as Matthew's pointing at, we have an event that transpired at that point in history called the Second Northern War. Now, I want to um, sort of make mention of something about this uh, comment, Northern War, which has got a parallel going on right now in modern history, because... Israel has termed the uh, defensive placement and setting which they have going on right now within the Golan Heights with expected spillover from Hezbollah, Iran, and the Syrian war. They are calling this war in the north. It, I would say it's a little bit on the, uh, well, I guess isochronically speaking, there is nothing that's ironic, but kind of wrap that around this uh 
this war has actually got a whole heck of a lot more going on in it. If you go through and just look at a simple, the simple Wikipedia article. Now, folks, I haven't, I only glossed over this stuff at lightning speed because I've been working on the ancient history parallels. But there is some things in here I do need to make mention of because if you go through this article, you're going to start noticing something very peculiar about Transylvania and Romania being brought up. And folks, I we're in the midst of the Crucible series with sorting the timeline, and that's going to be uh, one of the portions that will be sorted out. But I'm going to let everybody know right now. I've stated this in times past. When you see Transylvania and Romania coming up in something, that is too bald. Now, you can pull up the maps of this area, Romania, and the surrounding areas. You start looking at place names, you're going to realize that there are derivatives of Tubal all over the place in the modern place names. Meshach is right in the midst of that area as well as it should be within the Balkans. Now this, to me, points out to something, obviously, that that's going to give you a further connotation, way further down the road, because as I've brought up many times before, folks, until the great day of he who sits upon the throne, coming into where it begins to discuss these things in Revelation 18, and start at 17, getting more details, moving forward. That battle of Gog and Magog does not transpire until that time frame. Just keep that in mind. What? Well, keep it in mind, period, I guess. Anytime you see anybody talking about Gog and Magog being right around the herb corner, get it out of your head. We know for a fact that Russia has nothing to do with this, not to even mention the fact that right now, as we speak, Russia has been continually working with Israel to try to maintain some sort of peace along that border. But basically, as of lately, they've stated, Iran, you go home, get out of Syria. Hezbollah, you go back to Lebanon. So once again, as I've been trying to point out time and time again, Russia is not the bad guy any equation as far as Gog and Magog is concerned. And as a matter of fact, right now they're trying to be the peacekeeper in the mix. That's one thing I see in this parallel that is brought up here with the naming of this second Northern war. That was the thing that stood out the most to me. Now, as Matthew had pointed out, you've got Sweden in this mix. And what is going on with this war is also referred to as a deluge or great deluge back in this time in history, which, uh, as Matthew brought up on the program last week and was uh, it's quite eye-opening that they called it this. Now, he had asked me about what was going on here concerning uh, something that just came out in the news. I believe it was last, I'm not even sure here, uh, what was it, last week? Yeah, Monday, uh, 21 of May, 2018. And, of course, I had an immediate answer to this because I saw this building for a while but this is coming out of the Guardian and I'll state it right now not one of my favorite news sources but that's irrelevant because it's all dependent on the author himself they bring in a lot of uh, people from all over the place it literally 
the Guardian kind of boils down to who's writing the article. But here's the title of the article. Sweden distributes Be Prepared for War leaflet to all 4.8 million homes. And once again, what they passed out, here's a defense pamphlet that shows how populations can prepare in the event of an attack and contribute to the country's total defense. Now, folks, this has been building for a long time. The situation with Sweden and I have been catching things about this over the course of the last year. They have gone into a prep phase for war with Russia because, for one, they have nothing to do with NATO. Secondly, they're getting fed up with the fact that Russia has continually has planes going over their airspace, invading their airspace repeatedly, and not to even mention they're concerned with the movements towards certain areas. For instance, the Ukraine thing obviously got them all up in arms, but they might want to go out and look into the fact that a bunch of neo-Nazis uh, had taken over the Ukraine. But nonetheless, they've been prepping for this for quite some time. This has been a slow buildup. Now, there's other places that come up in the midst of a couple of these different wars back and forth. For instance, this specific war, Poland is all over this. Now, everybody, you need to remember that Poland has been having massive, massive issues with a regime that has come to the table there that has been basically pulling one move after another after another where dictator style. They're breaking all sorts of different uh, international laws, a bit of a nationalist flair to this. You could maybe even go to the extreme of a fascist if you want. It's all dependent on how you look at it. Nonetheless, there's been trouble in this area for quite some time. You're also going to have Austria-Hungary come up in this continually through the different parallels. Both of those also have had massive nationalism have flared up there. This Once again, just go back through the news and look at all this. this. You can document this like there is no tomorrow. As we've stated time and time again, the massive things that led to both World War I and World War II had everything to do with nationalism. And you can take that even further back to the root of the next uh, isochronal appearance of this sign. Because it was at that time that nationalism really started to gain its forefront. And a certain person that rides upon a white horse is all over the midst of this. So you have these parallels between all these different spots. With Sweden in a prep phase for war, Matthew brought up them being peaceful. Uh, I have to giggle a little bit at that one. Uh, you know, I know my history about where those Central Asian steppe tribes went, where they inhabited Oh, and I know all about Ashkenaz, biblically speaking. You know, they showed up as those uh, Saka Tiger Huda, about six foot five, blonde hair, blue eyes. Oh, yeah. They's important. But in the context of the last days, they don't really show up as a bad guy. So that's at least my take on that little pivot point. Well, I appreciate that. <clears throat> course the biblical term for that is where you get the word scandalous <clears throat> so what Brian just said 
literally reverberates in the Word of God. Oh yes, Scandinavia. Yes, the Bible. The Adidurgia plainly says um, that word there. It is what you read in various translations is scandalous. Well, ladies and gentlemen, let's, let's make no mistakes about what happened during this war. The Second Northern War was fought between Sweden and its adversaries, the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth, Russia, Brandenburg-Prussia, the Habsburg Monarchy, Denmark-Norway, and the Dutch Republic. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you're not seeing it if you can't see it, that this is what happened. Swedish troops invaded what Russia had occupied. And let's be sure that I explain what the problem was. Okay? Frederick William, the Elector of Brandenburg and Duke of Prussia, initially supported the estates in Royal Prussia, but allied with Sweden in return for receiving the Duchy of Prussia as Swedish financial aid, exploiting the hurt religious feelings of the Roman Catholic population under Protestant occupation. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you what this event was called. The Swedish invasion and occupation of the Commonwealth as a theater is the Second Northern War. In Poland and Lithuania, this period is called the Swedish Deluge. And I had no idea that Russia had been flying over Swedish sovereign territory as of late. I had no idea. You can imagine my surprise when I said, well, you know, I didn't think that, you know, Sweden uh, had very much military capabilities. Then I forgot all about Saab. And I found an article, sent it to Brian. I didn't even know what to make of it. Brian, who has Sweden been in deals with to sell them, uh, and I do mean top-of-the-line fighter jets? Which, uh, which country is that? Are they neutral or what? Oh, boy. What? Yeah, India. Uh, that's, that's a lot more complicated than I'm willing to go into at the moment. I well, I know. appreciate that. Neutral in whose uh, opinion, I guess. it's uh, There's so many strange exactly. things going on right now between the scenes with India that it's hard to tell where this is going to end up because with the uh, Shanghai Cooperation Organization, for one, the two conflicting parties that have been causing consternation in the mix between India, Pakistan, not to even mention they've had square-offs with China as well. Well, if you're part of that Shanghai Cooperation um, if somebody attacks you, you're bound by their rules to engage the enemy that comes in. So uh, India is pretty complicated. I, they're allied with the United States, yet they're, it, that's not an easy thing to answer. But that's who they're in the midst of selling planes to, as well as many other uh, folks, of course, including our current administration that their key thing is to make as much money as they can and run as fast as they can once they uh, clean out the coffers. Ladies and gentlemen, you heard it. 
um, just absolutely off the charts. Um, we have been talking about this as of late, uh, extremely important events going on. Um, me and Brian just done shows on uh, End Time Tribune Media uh, describing that this place that you're talking about, well, it must be the border for the Prince of Persia's kingdom. And I just told Brian to take a look at it. I don't have time. I biblicate. That's what I do. That's what no. <laughs> that's what I want to do. So I, you know, uh, Brian just found all kinds of proof that that's exactly where his border would be. So, ladies and gentlemen, um, this is pretty serious. It's pretty off the charts when you consider everything going on at the time. It's just, it's off the charts. Now, let's jump to the next one. Mars came into opposition in 1813. And, unfortunately, it met up with the moon in the sign of the capricious suns. And there was an eclipse. Ladies and gentlemen, it... There was an eclipse exactly three days before Austria entered the Sixth Coalition against Napoleon. Now, this is just off the charts because this war is known as the War of Liberation. But you know, I want Brian to know about the last one. I did my own research about where those planes invaded Swedish sovereignty. You're not going to like it when you may take a look at the ancient map of the Swedish deluge. You're not going to like it. But with that in mind, Brian, did you take a look at the War of Liberation in 1813? And did you start looking at these places on the modern timeline? By all means, uh, did you find anything or not? Well, it's back to square one. Once again, because uh, obviously here what we have transpiring is this is going on at the time of Napoleon. Now, I, I took a brief stroll down on uh, Napoleon's history real fast last night because I needed to get up to speed on some spots. About all I could find was a really badly made 45-minute documentary that went anywhere with this. But this, uh, this war is what led to his downfall. And he made the infamous mistake that you see time and time again that was the uh, 
pivot point all throughout world history when he uh, decided he was going to make a move inside of Russia. And that brought about his downfall. We whip it forward to World War One from orders given by Germany. The Turks had decided, the Ottoman Turks had decided they were going to try to invade Russia. It brought about their downfall. And then we can wrap this back around the ride again to World War Two. We're once again making a move on Russia as uh, Germany decided to attempt to grab that Baku oil basin out there in Azerbaijan. Once again, started a chain of events that didn't turn out well. Now, I, I find it interesting that you bring up this is the point where Austria comes into the mix. Because, well, folks, you need to once again... Remember who it was that was allied as well in the next stage of mega, mega events that transpired because Germany and Austria were also allied with one another. And now these regions that you have being brought up again within this, uh, this uh, war of the sixth coalition. Well, folks, all these places are once again, these are absolutely out of control right now in modern times. I mean, right here we've got Austria, which obviously is still Austria. Prussia, that's, well, that's not something you're going to find on a modern map. Of course, you've got Russia here, United Kingdom, Portugal, Sweden, Spain, uh, and the German states, which finally defeated France. And then this drove uh, Napoleon into exile on a block. But again, as I pointed out, a vast majority of these years finding out are showing up on the map. They have nationalism running just absolutely rampant as we speak. Making matters more interesting in this, folks, if you've been paying attention to events that have been happening in France, not to even mention how things are being played out as far as what has happened here concerning the Iranian nuclear deal. Because, well, what's happening concerning the Iranian nuclear deal and the European countries, well, that's much further in depth. I would say ever since the 1979 revolution, European nations have been playing this same game they're playing now. France, there's many inside of that nation right now that are comparing Marcon to Napoleon. And that should catch everybody's attention because well look if you've been paying attention to what he's doing he's definitely been exerting his presence onto the modern world stage in quite a manner that inadvertently has its own parallels beyond any shadow of a doubt you go backwards and you look at for instance what happened during this uh, this Skirapol incident which once again as is atypical with uh, even the chemical attack that happened thereafter in Syria. You, The whole thing is mysterious. All of that was used to start pointing the finger at Russia and cause all kinds of consternation. Of course, Britain starting the chain and then everybody coming into the mix and condemning them, with the exception of Israel. Why would they do that? Because they know they cannot be upsetting Russia at this point because they are the ones holding together peace in Israel's northern border. 
you've got so many parallels happening here with things that have been happening as well on the modern stage. Again, I cannot cannot even state this enough, folks. We have watched after this refugee crisis has played out that nationalism has just begun to rise to such an epic scale here. It is unbelievable. Go through the news. Look at where it's raising up. Compare these different things that we're talking about as far as these battles that are coming up and start connecting the dots because you have repetitions that keep happening over and over and over again. And if you look at the current events, you're going to see these events keep happening again, over and over and over again. That's uh, what I got to say for the time here. Well, unfortunately, I have to add to it. Ladies and gentlemen, as you heard Brian say, it was the Sixth Coalition, the War of Liberation, that got Napoleon exiled. He, of course, came back for the Hundred Days. That was terminated, of course, in the War of the Seventh Coalition. Brian and I once did an episode on Ezekiel... 39 and 38 that was over 7 hours long and this is a perfect isochronal shadow that you would need to understand that those two chapters are two separate wars uh, beyond any shadow of a doubt now that being said First thing I looked into Austria, I seen major headlines with people in their government resigning due to the rise of guess what? Nationalism. Just do a news search for it, ladies and gentlemen. Austria. Nationalism, you'll find it. So You need to know these things. Ladies and gentlemen, we have covered enough to get your attention. Don't you realize that? The whole purpose to the first part of this program was just to get your attention as to this may be important. You have no idea what Brian's going to share after the break. And I'm going to say it one more time. If you know of any shepherds that mention this blood moon eclipse in July 2018 without mentioning these things, ladies and gentlemen, they are pulling the wool over your eyes. They either don't know or they do not want you to know. So, you can do all your historical research you want to. We've given you the dates. Of course, I'm going to post the screenshots of the eclipses in conjunction with Mars in opposition in the sign of the capricious suns up on my website. You'll have the screenshots. Then you'll be able to check over history and look for signs. And guess what you're going to see? Signs of war. 
in, quite frankly, places you never thought to look. Look up the Swedish deluge and take a look at the map. Then start going through the news sources for Russian incursions into Swedish territory. And start putting those as pin marks on the map. You're not going to like what you see. And this just hasn't been happening for a couple of months. This has been happening for quite some time. And of course the Western news sources has kept it hush. Hush. Sweden right now is thinking about joining NATO. (laughs) While they make deals with India. The Swedes may be many things. But they are not stupid. We're going to take a break. This is an interweaving of Revelation chapter 6, Amos chapter 9, and Revelation chapter 7. You can go to my website, intimetribune.blogspot.com, and read along in either the KJV or the New American Standard Bible if you would like to. You need to, and you need to understand why the Lord your God is upset with the 144,000 detailed in Revelation chapter 7. And you need to reckon in your mind that right there, alphanumerically speaking, it says 144666. Because the Kilios in Greek is spelt with the final sigma. That means it says 144666. Look it up. I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Then white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. I saw the Lord standing upon the altar, and he said, Smite the lintel of the door that the posts may shake, and cut them in the head, all of them. And I will slay the last of them with the sword. He that fleeth of them shall not flee away, and he that escapeth of them shall not be delivered. Though they dig into hell, thence shall mine hand take them, though they climb up to heaven, thence will I bring them down. And though they hide themselves in the top of Carmel, I will search and take them out thence. And though they be hid from my sight in the bottom of the sea, thence will I command the serpent, and he shall bite them. And though they go into captivity before their enemies, thence will I command the sword, and it shall slay them. And I will set mine eyes upon them for evil and not for good. And though they go into captivity before their enemies, thence will I command the sword, and it shall slay them. And I will set mine eyes upon them for evil and not for good. And the Lord God of hosts is he that toucheth the land, and it shall melt, and all that dwell therein shall mourn, and shall rise up holy like a flood, and shall be drowned as by the flood of Egypt. It is he that buildeth his stories in the heaven, 
and hath founded his troop in the earth. He that calleth for the waters of the sea and poureth them out upon the face of the earth, the Lord is his name. There was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind, and the heaven departed as a scroll when it was rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places, and the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens, and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Are ye not as children of the Ethiopians unto me, O children of Israel, saith the Lord? Have not I brought up Israel out of the land of Egypt, and the Philistines from Kaphtor, and the Syrians from Kerr? Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are upon the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from off the face of the earth, saving that... I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, saith the Lord. For lo, I will command, and I will sift the house of Israel among all nations, like as corn is sifted in a sieve, yet shall not the least grain fall upon the earth. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, which say, The evil shall not overtake nor prevent us. And after these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and they were sealed, an hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Of the tribe of Judah were sealed twelve thousand, of the tribe of Reuben were sealed twelve thousand, of the tribe of Gad were sealed twelve thousand, of the tribe of Asher were sealed twelve thousand, of the tribe of Nephtalim were sealed twelve thousand. Of the tribe of Manassas were sealed twelve thousand. Of the tribe of Simeon were sealed twelve thousand. Of the tribe of Levi were sealed twelve thousand. Of the tribe of Issachar were sealed twelve thousand. Of the tribe of Zabulon were sealed twelve thousand. Of the tribe of Joseph were sealed twelve thousand. Of the tribe of Benjamin were sealed twelve thousand. In that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen, and close up the breaches thereof. And I will raise up his ruins, and I will build it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom, and of all the heathen which are called by my name, saith the Lord, that doeth this. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations, and kindreds, and people in tongues, stood before the throne, and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts, and fell before the throne on their faces and worshipped God, saying, 
Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes, him that soweth seed, and the mountain shall drop sweet wine, and all the hills shall melt. And I will bring again the captivity of my people of Israel, and they shall build the waste cities, and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards, and drink the wine thereof. They shall also make gardens, and eat the fruit of them. And I will plant them upon their land, and they shall no more be pulled up out of their land which I have given them, saith the Lord thy God. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the End Time Tribune <clears throat> as we talk about this war sign 2018. We've got another eclipse to talk about. When you bring up the maps for this eclipse that's coming up and check where it's going to be the greatest elongation point. It is an echo of another eclipse that happened a very long time ago. Brian and I have been talking about this very thing sporadically on the End Time Tribune Media with the series that we're doing. I strongly suggest that you Take a look at it. It's important. So, when you look at the two areas where the eclipse is going to be exactly visible, it's not a good sign. Any way you slice it. With that in mind... It looks like uh, Brian's sending me quite a few messages here. We'll just talk about it publicly. So, Brian, you're in the midst of sending me a whole lot of messages here all at once. Why don't you uh, describe uh, your thoughts and your feelings about us proceeding into this second part of the show? And 
Well, the concerns you may or may not have been voicing to me. Uh, jump right in here, Bray. Well, this is the thing. We have a major isochronal event that we have transpiring at this point in history in July. Yet, in the point in history where a major omen for the uh, fall of the Persian Empire, as that's how the uh, Chaldean astronomers had interpreted it, and it caused great fear and consternation in the camps of the Persians. This first eclipse, the lunar eclipse, which showed up, transpired on the 20th of September of 331 BC. This was at the point where Darius, with his massive amount of troops, had been camped out there trying to ascertain where it was that Alexander was coming from, expecting him to have crossed the Euphrates that way, whereas Alexander would came up with a different idea. And he went actually up north into Iraq and decided he was going to, how do you put this, I guess uh, attempt to flank uh, Darius and his rather large army. And yet we also had where the battle finally broke out, which was around the 1st of October, and right previous to that, there was a solar eclipse. Now, the details as far as what transpired here with this eclipse, it's a little hard to make out some of this because some of the tablet itself was broken. But there are some very uh, telling things happening here. You go to the first uh, point of this uh, tablet, which let me interject something here quick, folks. This tablet was recently found. I don't know exactly when it was. And it is such a crucial piece in understanding what happened at the time of Alexander the Great because obviously most of our information is coming down through the Greek and the Roman text. And of course, within the time frame they were written, we start getting a bit of an unclear picture because this is how things go that people have heard it stated time and time again. It's always the victor that writes history. And this Chaldean tablet is a very huge point into expressing the history from a different vantage point. And there were many scholars that weren't even aware of this over the years because it also helps people to understand that that battle, when it actually played out in October at the Battle of Gagamil, which was around 140 off the top of my head or 104 miles about northwest of Erbil, which we have brought up time and time and time again. That's where the Kurdish people that's part of Kurdistan, and as a matter of fact, you're going to find out that the ancient Kurds are actually mentioned in this text, because as you get down further in here, they refer to them as the Gudians, 
to the land of the Gudeans, they fled. Now, time and time again, folks, we years brought up the mysterious Gudeon. Because, you know, the atypical thing that everybody's running around saying after it sort of somehow slipped into the mindsets that somehow the Kurds are the Medes and the genetic information alone shows that they're not. And it this is something I had tried to get to the bottom of for a while. And finally, one historian decided to uh, sort of point out reality. And he stated that, indeed, they're the ancient Gudian. That breaks down into a lot more detail than I'm going to bring up here. The point is, is what this lunar eclipse had signaled with the way that uh, Jupiter was not above the horizon at the time that the lunar eclipse played out, and yet Saturn was. And the main thing that they told them is this is this is the fall of the Persian Empire. This is a major omen. The uh, fourth line in this brings up something very interesting during the totet. During totality, the west wind blew. During clearing, the east wind, and then obviously there's a break in the tablet. Fourth, during the eclipse, deaths and plague. It goes on to point out other details as we go along in here. Folks, as it I stated before, there's some very telling things about the price of oil at that time. Um let me see here. That month, the exchange value of one shekel of silver for barley and dates, 180 liters of mustard, 540 liters at the end of the month, 720 liters of crescent liters, 36 liters, wool, five pounds at the time Jupiter was in Scorpius. Venus and Leo at the end of the month in Virgo. Saturn was in Pisces, Mercury and Mars, so on and so forth. Now, folks, there's something important that points out here. It states Jupiter was in Scorpius, but this is where you need to know something. Because right now, Jupiter is in the scales. It's in Libra. But in ancient Chaldean astronomy, Libra was called the Scorpion's Claws. Of course, they've taken this tablet and they've tried to relay it to our modern Greek to Roman variant of what constellations are called. But if they misinterpreted that, when Scorpion's claws, Scorpio's claws were actually part of Libra, the scales. Once again, that gets very, very important. And maybe I'll go back and cover that in a bit. Now, the case in point here that I'm trying to amplify, this date of the 20th of September is key critical when this lunar eclipse appeared. Now, in this sign in the heavens that is happening coming up here in July, Everybody, you have to take note. Mars is in conjunction with the moon as this longest eclipse takes place in the heavens. And if I remember correctly, there's also something encoded within the time frame 
that this eclipse goes on. It's considered the longest eclipse that's happened for so many, I can't even remember off the top of my head, years. This is also happening in the constellation of Aries. This is our, the constellation of Capricorn, the GOAT. When we come towards July, near the 28th, as in all things, the way this works, folks, this is a slow boil. I I like the way they always bring up the lobster parallel, a slow, uh, you slowly turn up the heat. Well, why do you do that? Because, well, they poison themselves if you don't. If you kill them, that's why they have to cook a lobster the way they do. It was rather interesting. I had to explain why certain foods were considered unclean in this house, and I got to use that example. But this is what this is. This is going to be a boil-up. This is going to be a progression. We should expect to see more of these progressions pushing towards a slow boil, towards conflict breaking out. We know full well that after this Iranian nuclear deal, after this was broken, this has caused great consternation. But if we go back previous to all the events that have been boiling through the last year, folks, we have known beyond any shadow of a doubt that the way things are currently progressing with each and little dot that's been connected across the board here, we're seeing catastrophic events that have got parallels on top of parallels on top of parallels unleashing themselves all throughout the world. Just the events within the European continent alone have so many echoes and so many parallels to what transpired back in World War I with the rise of nationalism. Then you whip it forward to World War II. Okay, you can bring Germany into this equation. Germany has been having a lot of problems with their governing body. A whole lot. Anti-Semitism, once again, is it's breaking out within Germany. It has been for quite some time, and it's getting a lot more prominent once again. We've had parties within Merkel's governing body that's a complete far-right-wing party that is pressing a lot of these same attitudes. Italy is completely far surpassing off the charts right now. Your parallels to what happened at the time of Mussolini are beyond frightening, and they just had some major hits again here with attempts to form this new government. Everybody is pointing at the fact of something I stated on the last video we did on the Bands of Time. Folks, watch for the breakup of the European Union because they're stating right now that the way things are going with Italy, this could have major major ramifications that are going to cause the entire uni- European Union to break apart. Now, this is the main key thing that Marcon is trying to stop in tandem with Merkel, even as Merkel is having her own major problems on her own soil. So we can see these strange parallels happening through the European nations. And these are all very important. No matter how we look at this, 
when we begin to on top of it, when we begin to sit down and look at this timeline with Alexander. Now, at first, I was looking at things, trying to move the uh, months backwards to align the September 20th sign at the time of Alexander with the eclipse happening here at the end of July. Something very frightening happened when I went to pull up this information again to check it last night because I had, I've got so much work that I'm doing right now, folks, here in the background. I had to sort out stuff that's going on coming up for our next portion in the crucible. Not to even mention, I tried to go through some of this historical information here that Matthew had found trying to find something that I could sit down and try to get an idea of what's happening with these battles as far as a documentary and, of course, this first one that is mentioned here, this War of the North, Second War of the North, I couldn't find anything, nothing, as far as a documentary outside of somebody turning on a translation thing or recording a Wikipedia article to YouTube. So, obviously, I had to go the other way. Looked at Napoleon. Most of the documentaries that were coming up were made in the 50s, for crying out loud. That's how fun it is trying to deal with certain portions of history from my end because if I can read something that's one thing but when you get the visual elements being brought in that help you understand what's going on at least with me it gets my mind thinking in about a thousand different directions as I'm looking at these things couldn't find anything outside of some really poorly made Napoleon uh, documentaries so that was a little helpful but not so much so Before I bring this up next, because Matthew's the only one that is aware of, as I've stated before in the past, folks, I already calculated the four seals in Revelation 6. The first one, the White Rider, which obviously, as we spoke of before, Napoleon represents that perfectly riding upon his white horse with nationalism. Second rider, the red horse. You can even take a look at that one and point towards socialism. It's a pretty uh, good fit. And then, of course, we know full well what the black horse is. It's going to cause, well, in the midst of a uh, Famine, which is being reported all over the world as we speak, not to even mention all the natural disasters are making things far worse as far as our harvests and even the uh, grabbing of uh, meat would be concerned. This boil up here that happened since uh, another date I penciled in when uh, the aluminum steel tariffs were brought up, then we had the trade war, then we had the Iranian announcement, which caused oil to go up. Well, in this text, it mentions the fact that all the prices were going to were going up because they knew full well that uh, this collision between the goat and the ram was about to happen at that point in history. We see an exact parallel with this economic mat- material that was written into this text, which I mentioned before. Everybody, you need to consider this. I'm going to bring up real quickly these... Uh, first three dates. 
because there's a specific way you have to calculate this for one. But the first one fell on the 22nd, January 22nd of 2017. That was the day either before or after, I don't remember off the top of my head, of the inauguration of Donald Trump. Nationalism, the white horse. I know, folks, that a lot of people don't like me stating that, but look, you all need to bear in mind and go look into the facts of what all was transpiring during that election cycle, everything that transpired there afterwards, and you continually see the same pattern being brought up. And I would say it was even further emphasized by the next event, which is the Red Rider, which was Saturday, August 12, 2017. And, oh, to bring it up first, result number one was Sunday, January 22nd. Therefore, since the inauguration would have fallen the next day on Monday. The next event was Saturday, August 12th of 2017. Okay, everybody, that's when the Charlottesville protests broke out as the anti-fascists fought against the fascists in Charlottesville, and that woman was killed in the midst of this. And the commander-in-chief of the United States really put his foot in his mouth because he called the fascists had some good people and the anti-fascists had good people in the mix. He got in a whole lot of trouble when he was saying that there was neo-Nazis that were good people. Folks, you have to go back and look at what happened during that time frame after that August 12th event. Like I stated before, there's no... If you're in denial about the fact of what has been going on throughout this nation since that lead up during the election cycle and forward, I don't know what to say. The fact remains is it's there. It happened. It's still continuing to happen. And even further was amplified as uh, the commander in chief here called a bunch of these African nations that are totally being completely being torn apart and ravaged by war as we speak, as he called them a certain swear word, whole countries. As we come to the third one, that was Friday, March 2nd, 2018. That's when Trump made his announcement concerning the aluminum and steel tariffs and the entire stock market. After its first repetition of starting to fall, then things began to spiral out of control. That's three witnesses. Now, folks, you may be asking, why is it that while everything, United States ain't the center of prophecy and so on and so forth. No, it's not. But here's the thing. The end days, Babylon, the Americas, they're instrumental in doing and helping with the work of the writers in this last time. There's so many places where you can prove this beyond any shadow of a doubt that that's what what is happening. And that's why it's so important that these events keep deadpanning in the United States in the way they have. When you've got two of these witnesses, you're scratching your head. When you get to your third one, you start to get highly concerned. The shocking part 
was what I just found as I went back to grab some of this material to have it prepared. It's when I looked at that fourth seal and realized, you've got to be joking. I'm going to give that back over to Matthew for a little bit because I don't really want to drop that until some other commentary is added beforehand. Well, Brian, just so you know, for the technical data needed, um, headline, Century's Longest Lunar Eclipse, July 27th. Okay, so I'll just read straight from earthsky.org. The July 2018 full moon presents the longest lunar eclipse of the 21st century. On the night of July 27th slash 28th, it's so long it comprises, actually, it breaches over into the 28th. 2018, lasting for a whopping one hour and 43 minutes. In contrast, the previous total lunar eclipse in January 31st lasted one hour and 16 minutes. A partial eclipse precedes the follows as the century's longest total lunar eclipse, each time lasting one hour and six minutes. So, from start to finish, the moon takes nearly four hours, three hours and 55 minutes to cross the Earth's dark umbrial shadow. So there's a technical data about what uh, Brian thought he had read. Let me read this, ladies and gentlemen. You know, Brian was bringing up the writers, and he mentioned which writer it states very plainly. Death and plagues will follow. Ladies and gentlemen, this is is straight from the tablet itself. In the fifth year of Darius, there was an eclipse of the moon, which was entirely darkened as Jupiter set. Saturn was four fingers different. As the eclipse became total, a westerly wind was blowing. As the moon became visible again, an easterly wind during the eclipse, there were deaths and plagues. Now, I'm going to read a little bit from the commentary. I appreciate it to a point. I appreciate it to a point. According to the Persian magicians, an eclipse of the moon was more significant for the king himself than most other omens. The Babylonian Chaldeans, in their catalog of prophecies offered even less propitious interpretation if the moon of the sun is eclipsed and Jupiter not visible. End of dominion. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I don't have a problem coming right out and saying what's inferred here. I, I have no problem with it whatsoever. Brian is a little hesitant, and I appreciate that. I also appreciate who was the foremost Assyrianologist, period. His dad, of course, gave us the Hebrew New Testament. So, with that in mind, ladies and gentlemen, this is coming full bear, and and I magnified that for a reason, that statement. Saturn was four fingers distant. I, I know exactly what it said. Brian sent me a copy of the log and I took a look at it. I immediately contacted some people. They said, yes, Matthew, that's uh, what you thought. That's what it says. 
Ladies and gentlemen, exactly one month before the sign takes place. Literally, by less than one arc of degree in the heavens, the moon is full. Saturn is in opposition. Bright enough to blow your mind. When the event takes place, I, I think that it might actually look like that the moon is bulging when it happens. That takes place exactly one month earlier. God is literally pointing out to you when this sign takes place uh, where his throne is because I sent Brian the photo shot this morning, I do believe. To your naked eye, it happens right in the middle of the river Milky Way. In the city, you can't see it, but here it's going to be magnificent to me. Of course, my children didn't even realize that you could see the Milky Way until we moved here. But you're going to see this sign right in the middle of the Milky Way cloud. So a message from the Father Star to keep your eye on the faithful witness for the next time it goes full. The next time it goes full, it is eclipsed in the sign of the capricious suns with Mars in opposition in a conjunction with the moon. Now, I passed along a question. What would happen if there was another magnificent sign with a same time this happened, one of the planets being in opposition right next to this lunar eclipse? They said, well, it was all dependent on what planet it was. Of course, I didn't tell them. No, that was for the listeners of the End Time Tribune. They said it could be extremely good, but most probably it's extremely bad for whatever that represents. Well, it represents war. I hope you took a listen to the break. I hope you go over to the blog post for that so you can see with your own eyes. It's color-coded so you can see it details you why. The rest of their number, those at the altar, are numbered. God's not very happy with them. They're crusaders, of course. Now, with that in mind, um, I'll continue reading from this uh, commentary just a little bit. Now, you'll take note that also contained, Brian mentioned that all the prices hyper escalated moreover according to the systems generally used in prophetic writings an eclipse on the 13th day of the month meant disaster of Babylonia and an eclipse in the month of Ululu meant disaster for Persia a westernly wind during an eclipse indicated that the catastrophe was to come from that direction an easterly wind, as the disk of the moon became visible, meant the eastern regions were safe. The fact that Saturn was visible gave added force to all these prophecies. In other words, after the omens of 
the 20th of September, a Babylonian astronomer would have known that the end was near for the ruler of Persia and Babylonia, and that the cause of his demise would be an enemy from the West. Although the West would provide sanctuary, this was still a demoralizing prospect. On another clay tablet, we find a similar description of a lunar eclipse, but this time it predicts the fate of the victor rather than the defeated party. Ladies and gentlemen, you need to take note that at the time, astronomy was not a secret doctrine. The Magi mentioned here in this article, uh, they were uh, it blows me away. They were under the employ of the king. I mean, they was literally in his cabinet, and everybody would know before time what this sign or what that sign meant. This is common knowledge for Pete's sakes. It's common knowledge. Um, So I hope you appreciate uh, – and you know, Brian, we need to hesitate how we say it. <laughs> of course, Brian is chomping at the bit to mention something that he and I talked about in private when he asked me about it. I gave him the response that my elder gave me, Brother Webster. Ladies and gentlemen, the only important questions are the questions you don't know to ask. That's the important questions. When you take a look into the Bible, God's holy word, utilizing what come out of one side of his mouth, the Hebrew, or what come out of the other side of his mouth, the Greek, you will see things that doesn't have to be come out and clearly stated. When you read other parts of the Bible, all of a sudden it makes sense. I have made mention of these things as of late. But if you weren't listening to what I said, you would have already forgotten them. But I weigh my words extremely carefully, and I don't say anything without meaning what I'm saying. These things I pointed out in the last WI2C radio. What Brian has learned, the question that he asked me, has been taking place since that episode. <clears throat> but ladies and gentlemen, we got a sign of war from the Lord our God. Only he can orchestrate the heavens. Uh, nobody else and everybody has always known it. From beginning to end, everybody knows it. God alone orchestrates the heavens. Yes, this is the longest eclipse of the century. Yes, this is the brightest that it is the closest Mars has been since 2003. Exactly one month before. Uh, Saturn is literally – I mean like I said, we, we don't know we're not there yet. 
but looking at the different programs, and more importantly, I look at the technical data as to what the position is in the heavens left and right ascension. Oh, man, that's so close that it actually might look like that Saturn touches the moon. We'll just have to wait and find out. But if you need a hint, you ain't got a clue. Well, I'm just telling you. And you know what? If Sometimes if you are wanting information from the Lord your God, you don't need to ask him about the information. You need to ask him, well, what question do I need to ask? Presumptuous to think in your mind that you can articulate the right question, which will facilitate the knowledge that you need. perfect example of this was today. My son asked me a riddle of riddles. He said, Daddy, where is the flaming sword? Forty-five minutes later, my son said to me, Daddy, you might have to get a job out of town. I said, yeah. He said, well, if you get a job in town, we need to write a book on this. People don't understand it, that they don't understand the mechanics of the heavens. And I said, well, son, neither did you until you asked me the question. And he said, yeah, but they need to understand why God says that he stretches out the heavens. He needs, they need to understand why God says there's four corners of the earth. They, they can't understand. Well, they don't need to know, son. He, of course, pleaded with me. Yeah, but they won't know what's happening on the great day of he who sitteth upon the throne. Well, they're not expecting that. They're expecting to ascend to heaven. They're expecting to be taken to heaven, to ascend the heights of heaven, to establish, to have a throne where he who sitteth upon the throne is. He pleaded with me. Please, Daddy, we need to write a book about this. But he had no idea what he was asking. Where is the sword? How does it work? Why does God say bends? You need to start asking God to tell you what question to ask. You know, just like the disciples, they were sitting there looking at Christ the King. They were looking at him. And they ask him, give us faith. They knew exactly what to say. Even though they obviously didn't need to be given faith, he was standing right in front of them. So ladies and gentlemen, it's not the information that's important. It's the riddle. Because Christ performed his ministry based off of Asaph's riddle. That's why he did it. You didn't know that? You haven't heard that? Ladies and gentlemen, it's a matter of fact as to why Jesus taught in parables. It's not something made up. I mean, you need to know and understand this. That's why it's in Psalms, chapter 78, verse 2. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter dark sayings of old. That is the Greek word for riddle. That's why Christ taught in riddles. Now, 
How is it we lose track of time, Brian? How do we only have five minutes left on air? That's just ridiculous. Brian, the mic's back to you. I hope I prepped you accordingly. What? Five minutes left on air? That doesn't make any sense. It's 1140 here. Okay, let me check. I'm I'm lo- I, oh I'm looking at the okay I'm looking at the wrong thing. We have 19 minutes left. I'm sorry. Uh, Brian has proved once again, ladies and gentlemen, that uh, if you need clicks to be performed on your computer, do not have Matthew do it. Uh, yeah, Brian, we've got 19 minutes. Sorry about that. I was looking at the wrong thing. Not a problem. That happens. I'm uh, just looking at some uh, little odds and ends here. Yep, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. Just doing a few uh, look at the coordinates. I suppose people are wondering why I'm saying that. Well, I'll get there. Because uh, it's, it's dependent what order do I want to go in here. Well, for one, let's uh, let's go back in time. I'm going to take a few little key things here concerning uh, what was leading up to this uh, infamous battle that played out on October 1st with its precursor lunar eclipse on the 20th of September. This is from Michael Woods in the footsteps of Alexander the Great. The decisive battle was now at hand after his defeat at Isis. Remember that name, everybody. I'm going to come back to that. Darius had retired to lick his wounds and raise another army. A grand army drawn from every corner of the empire. He knew Alexander would not call a halt on the shores of the Mediterranean. The Persian Foreign Office engaged in a last Desperate exchange of letters tried to buy Alexander off. There already had been an approach not adjusted to the new reality of world politics, but proposing a treaty and asking to ransom Darius's family. This had been refused outright. The Persians then offered to cede the empire as far as the river Halles in central Anatolia with a huge ransom for the family. Finally, they offered all the lands of the Persian Empire as far as where? The Euphrates. And a fabulous ransom of 30,000 talents together with the offer of a Persian royal wife, one of Darius's daughters for Alexander. I'd accept if I were Alexander, said old General Parmenio. So would I if I were Parmenio, said Alexander. By now, the young conquistador had the scent of blood. His letter told Darius the situation as he saw it. Call me great king now. Live as my viceroy or stand and fight. But be assured that I will pursue you wherever you go. Darius's blood must have chilled. Let's stop there for one moment. Folks, everybody stop and consider what's happening since the... Uh, the nuclear cords since the United States stepped out of it. What right now is Iran 
trying to work out with all the other nations involved in that treaty and all the other nations that they are in the midst of trade with. This is a very important parallel, folks, because this is exactly... This is an exact isochronal representation of what was happening at the time of Alexander the Great. You cannot escape this. Let me continue forward. That spring, early April, rested and reinforced, the Macedonian army held games and sacrifices and then left Memphis. Why Memphis? Because, folks, they were in Egypt prior to this. He had already had his... uh, infamous chit-chat with the oracle at Siwa. I'm going to point something else out here, everybody. Over on the Crucible program, we've already mentioned this before. You have a very interesting account in the Greek text from Herodotus concerning the, uh, well, he would have been the second to last king from Cyrus's line. Cambius, who somehow allegedly stuck his sword into himself on the way back to Persia and died. Yes, folks, once again, this is uh, a point of great consternation because we know full well that Darius the Great seized that throne. Point is, is uh, Cambius had attempted to send his army to invade the oracles at Siwa. And, well, it didn't turn out too well because they got hit with a sandstorm, were lost. This has caused great consternation trying to find this army because you go out there in that specific spot in Egypt, you're going to find out. Getting lost out there in a sandstorm, yeah, good luck with that. They still, to this day, have not found complete proof as to what happened to that army. But nonetheless, you can understand how it happens if you understand the uh, location. Cambius went to make an attack on Siwa and his soldiers were completely wiped out. That says a lot. But as I continue, I'll add a little more commentary in here because, folks, this really should start catching your attention if you've been paying attention to events that have been happening in these very places. Okay. And the sacrifices. And then left Memphis. Crossed to Gaza. Alright, I'm going to stop there again. Actually, I'll continue a little bit forward. Stopped at Gaza and moved up the coast of Palestine to Tyr. And folks, if you go back further in the timeline. After Alexander the Great sacked here. He turned around, he went down to Gaza and did the very same thing. One thing of note that's very important when you consider what's happening as we speak. Alexander did not go and attack these places for no reason. These would have been Persian strongholds. If you've been paying attention to everything on the ground, folks, your ears should perk up to the fact that right now all of these places are allied with Iran. Lebanon, Hezbollah, 
Gaza, Hamas, but I thought they were Sunni. Really? Because, well, look, they tore down that infamous Sunni-Shia divide far further back than most folks realize. And yes, if we want to take it further in history, yes, even Osama bin Laden himself stated we need to stop this division between the Sunni and Shia and work together. And yes, the Iranians were deeply involved with Al-Qaeda. How do I know this? Oh, that's yes, because I know where to look. And I'm going through text from a person that has access to the material on the ground in Israel from their intelligence. Yes, everybody. Iran and Al-Qaeda were connected, even as such. Muslim Brotherhood, Pakistan, Iran, all of it's connected. Yes, this has been set in motion for quite some time. When you understand that Alexander was targeting these places because they had alliances with whom? The Persians. Gaza, in the last week, this isn't the first time. They've known about this for a very long time. That Hamas was aligned with Iran, even as Islamic Jihad, another group that is in Gaza, is aligned with Iran. It's been stated time and time again. Last week, Hamas's leader even stood up in the midst of an Arabic interview and said that we're in contact with the Islamic Revolutionary Guard, with the leaders in Iran, so on and so forth. We can't deny that's happening. It's in broad daylight. Now you see a pattern. But as I stated, he moved back up the coast of Palestine to Tyr. Here their intelligence picked up news of Darius's troops, concentrations around Babylon. And they turned inland to where? Damascus. From there, via Aleppo, they crossed the Euphrates near Jerablus and marched via Nisibis into Assyria, now northern Iraq. The Persian army of Darius was now drawn from every corner of the empire eastwards with troops from Central Asia, the Indus Valley, beyond the Hindu Kush. We talked about all these in the Crucible, folks. That's all part of the Prince of Persia's territory. The Greeks claimed it was a million strong, but this was clearly impossible. A more realistic guest might put it at twice the size of Alexander's the army. With his first heavy infantry forces mauled in previous battles, Darius now put his faith in cavalry, in which he outnumbered the Macedonians over five to one. Other innovations he tried were specialist units and longer spears forged to combat the phalanx. This again gives the lie to the Greek picture him of him. Darius III, as a leader incompetent in war and paralyzed by misfortune. The problem was that changing tactics and equipment mid-campaign was very risky. To wield such a disparate force together takes more than just time, and time Darius did not have. The Persian army had assembled near Babylon, expecting Alexander to advance along the Euphrates, from northern Syria. But again, Alexander took an indirect and unexpected route, marching a long way around the nor- through northern Iraq, where it was easier to supply his forces. Then, for reasons we do not fully understand, 
Darius, instead of electing to bide his time and wait for the Greeks north of Babylon, now moved 320 kilometers to the north and camped near the ancient city of Arbella, waiting to see which route Alexander might take across the river Tigris. Okay, everybody. Arbella, that's modern-day Erbil. That's the seat of where Kurdistan currently is, where the Peshgorma, Murga, who fought against ISIS, for example, this is their main city. Uh, we've been pointing to this place over and over and over again. Alexander's scouts were now able to fix Darius's position, and Alexander moved up the northern route and forded the Tigris northwest of Mosul. Around 18 September, the front line of the war zone between Saddam Hussein and the Free Kurdish Forces after the Gulf War of 1991. Across the countryside beyond the Tigris, Darius now operated a scorched earth policy to deny the Greeks supplies, the smoke of burning fires, and villages rose as far as the eye could see. So the daytime was dimmed by a dark blanket of smoke. Darius had given the initiative to Alexander and knowing he would have to fight soon, did his best to fight on the ground of his own choosing. He spent the next few days leveling a battleground to give his chariots maximum chance against the Macedonian phalanx. The place he chose was near the small town of Gagamilla, Tel Gamol, near north of the Jebel Melbach Hills, which rises over 1,000 meters straight out of the plain near the Gomel River, about 120 kilometers north west of Erbil. On the 20th, 21st of September, a near-total lunar eclipse took place, which was received with consternation in the Macedonian ranks, but which the army seers were quick to interpret as a sign of victory. Propitiatory sacrifices were made the next day, and then Alexander pushed on. On 25 September, he made contact with the enemy, seizing the heights overlooking the battlefield. He then recontrited and rested the army for four days, presumably also to reorganize the drill, the special units, as he worked out his plan. On 30 September, he closed on Darius and camped opposite the final showdown. Alexander had 40,000 infantry and about 7,000 frontline cavalry. Darius had 3,400 cavalry and infantry forces variously estimated by the Greeks between 200,000 and a million men. The smaller figure, although no doubt exaggerated, is likely to be nearer the truth. On October 331 B.C., the late summer heat would have been dying in the Arbella Plain after the ferocious temperatures at the end of August when it reaches 50 degrees. But it would have been still hot and very dusty. Dust storms frequently roll across the barrel-roaded hills of Kurdistan. Our sources, even though they had access to detailed accounts of Alexander's unit list and battle plans, along with the full written disposition of the Persian army, which fell into Alexander's hands after the battle, are all confused over the events that follow. What appears on the paper, though, is a far cry from the messy, confused reality of battle. This is fought on the front of a four kilometers amid swirling clouds of dust, and large parts of the action were concealed from the gaze of the leaders. So none of the surviving accounts tells the whole story. 
Alexander knew the Persian line would outflank him by a long way. Indeed, he encouraged them to do so by deliberately staggering back his formation at a 45-degree angle. His intention was to lure the Persians into a premature assault, which would open up the gaps in their line as it happened, though in the early part of the battle, it was the Greek line which became disjointed. Pay attention to this. Bessius, the commander of the elite Bactrian cavalry from northern Afghanistan, launched a heavy attack on Alexander's right, and a gap opened in the advancing Macedonian phalanx. This allowed other Persian cavalry units to break through to attack the Greek baggage park. On the other side, the Persian right-wing cavalry were also able to sweep around the Greek line at this moment, The Persians had a chance for victory, but perhaps already thinking the battle was won, the Persian cavalry charged on to raid the Macedonian camp some kilometers to the rear. This indiscipline was fatal to Darius's hopes. Now, everybody, I pay attention to that for a reason. Bessius, the commander, or Bessus, the commander of the elite Bactrian cavalry from North Afghanistan. Right, folks, we have had nonstop reports even recently that Iran has been in Afghanistan. We've had Islamic Revolutionary Guards showing up that were killed in the midst of ambushes that happened in Afghanistan. You've had reports of them working with, be it surviving Al-Qaeda, surviving, be it with Taliban. We have them down in this area in Afghanistan. This is happening in real time. Bessis was the one that betrayed Darius III, and killed him later on. It happens in an important place, too, because it was fleeing up into the mountains going towards Armenia at some point where this happened. There's another couple of little uh, important points here I'm going to bring in. Okay. Now, this is after... um, Because immediately after this battle, to point out real fast, what transpired is that night Alexander leapt on his horse, and he, as it states here, the day ended with Darius charging off on his chariot bound. Well, I guess hell bound would be a better word for this. For leather, for Arbella, Erbil. Pursued by Alexander, there was a fierce chase across the plain, which was called off at dusk while the Greeks rested for a few hours took food and drink, and then resumed at midnight. Alexander rode into Arbella, Erbil, at dawn, coming from the in from the Gomel River. The ancient city stood on a great mound visible far from, from far across the plain as it still is today. Darius had gone. The Greeks later learned that he had gathered a nucleus of survivors and headed eastward through the Armenian mountains for Ectobana Hamadan in Media. He had effectively abandoned not only Babylon and Mesopotamia to the Greeks, but also Susa, the winter capital down by the Gulf. All right, this goes on to bring up the tablet we've been speaking of. Our only non-Greek narrative of the battle is a couple of lines long, but it is of great interest. It comes from a recently identified clay tablet written in cuneiform. Part of the contemporary Diary written in Babylon, so it is our earliest source for these events, and offers us a tiny glimpse into the view of Alexander from the other side. As was customary in such texts, the scribes first notes the month's prices. 
oil, pie, wool, five shekels. In the astrological conjunction at the time, Jupiter was in Scorpio. As I pointed out before, everybody, Libra was considered Scorpio's clause in the Chaldean astronomy. Then it continues. On day 11 of the month, there was panic in the military camp before the king, the Greek army, appeared. Then they pitched camp in front of the king, Darius. On day 24 in the morning, its king set up the standard. They fought one another, and the Greeks inflicted a defeat. Important officers were killed. He, Darius, abandoned his army. They fled to their cities, disappeared into the land of the Guti. Again, folks, I pointed out the Gudian, that's the Kurdish people. Laconic, it may be in the extreme, but it gives us a dramatic sense of news as it was being made, not as filtered by Greek propaganda. There's a lot more that goes on here, but as always, we're running down on time, so I have to start pointing out some other important factors here. Now, folks, Matthew brought something up concerning these writers. And we're already into overdrive. Zechariah. Yes. You, well, Brian, Go ahead. It, got, it got to the end of the show, and I could not interrupt you. That thought had to be completed, because the thought that you're going to relay, because you just brought up, Zechariah chapter 6. God has obviously reserved that for the overdrive. So proceed. Uh, don't worry about it. We've got, uh, what, 14 minutes in overdrive, so let's do it. All right. Now, to clear this up, because I get really irritated when I see this, especially when it comes from certain places. Folks, the first writer in Revelation 6, that is not the Antichrist. If you see anybody state that, run. How do we know this? If you people, if you went in before you started writing out your nonsense and had read Zechariah, you would have understood that those are four spirits, four angels that have been sent out to patrol the earth by the Lord himself. Once again, anybody that states and gives you any idea that is any different whatsoever from what Zechariah states, do not waste your time there. Now what Matthew brought up by it asked a certain question because I was looking at a pattern. Our 1979 pattern. I knew something had to be going on in the southern area, going south. But I'm going to point out something that states here, because I knew there was a repetition going on. Because when you begin here at Zechariah 1, verse 18 through 19, for instance, then I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, four horns. And I said to the angel, talking with me, what are these? And he answered to me, these are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. I began looking at Zechariah, knowing full well that we've got cycles and patterns where those four horns have been in an altering pattern. 
and it's been different horns that have been scattering Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. When we look at Israel, you can tie that into the ten tribes if you would like. It all depends on how you would like to look at it. Judah, obviously, we know the tribe of Judah, which is the word we get. For instance, the word Jew comes from Judah. And then it states Jerusalem, the city. We know we have an alternating factor going on here. We know full well throughout the varied events, be it when the Assyrians came in and uprooted the ten tribes and spread them throughout places on that big continent. We had the Chaldeans showed up, brought about the dispersal of Judah earlier in history. And as time progresses, certain patterns started playing out. If we look at what happened, for instance, prior to World, prior to World War II especially, but things really began to start boiling real heavily from, well, 1897, of course, was the first Zionist convention. Come to 1899, a major marker was the second. Roll yourself along to 1917, the Balfour Declaration, which happened to be in November. The anniversary of 100 years was just in 2017. At that point in time, to the north, we had those people were horns that were scattering the Jewish people because what happened? We had pogroms breaking out all throughout the European continents. You go into Russia during World War II as well. Once again, you had that same pattern happening there. So we should already understand that we should see certain riders of these being dispatched towards the north. That's where you need to pay attention to what it states in Zechariah 6. Zechariah 6, verse 1, and I'm using a literal translation right now, folks. And again, my eyes lifted up and looked, and behold, four chariots were coming from between two mountains, and the mountains were mountains of bronze. When the first chariot, with the first chariot, were red horses. Now pay attention, everybody, to how all of this is stated. And with the second chariot, black horses. And with the third chariot, white horses. And with the fourth, dappled and strong colored horses. And I answered, and I said to the angel who was talking with me, what are these, my Lord? And the angel answered and said to me, these are the four spirits of heaven who go forth from standing before the Lord of all the earth. The black horse goes into the north country. And the white goes after them. And the dappled ones go towards the south country. And the strong colored ones went forth and sought to go to walk to and fro in the earth. And he said, go, walk to and fro in the earth. So they walked to and fro in the earth. And he cried out to me and spoke to me, saying, behold, these who go toward the north country have caused my spirit to rest in the north country. All right, everybody. Take note. We had the black horses going to the north country. The white horses went after them. Where did the dappled horses go? They went 
toward the South Country. The word South is actually a root off the word Timon. The dappled ones went South. Okay, that is known as the fourth rider, the fourth seal in Revelation 6. And turning around, the strong color went north. Pay very close attention. I'll riddle it. Everybody, you need to look at this and realize there's one that didn't go anywhere. It is very important. I'm also going to point out that the root word here for the fourth rider from Revelation 6 also means hail. You're going towards the south. This is why on top of it, as the series I've been working on, the 1979 pivot point, this is why Egypt is such an important part of this pivot point. Because everything begins to start swirling around Egypt. And in 1979, 1978, 1979, the Camp David Accords, after Al-Mur Sadat made the peace, this infuriated certain factions within the Muslim world. Two years after that agreement was signed in 1979, in 1981, the Muslim Brotherhood rose up and assassinated Amor Sadat. Now those folks that happened to be part and parcel within that assassination, one of them, who ended up being Osama bin Laden's doctor, was deeply, deeply in cahoots with Iran for quite a stretch of time. Even the same as bin Laden had made his decree stating, we don't pay attention to the Sunni and Shia divide. We need to be working together. So you got to ask yourself, why did that writer, the writer of war, why did it go south? Well, I just answered it. I'll hand it over to Matthew here for the last five. Well, Brian, there's one thing that we needed to bring up with this timeline. This is a chain of events. Darius opens negotiations right before Alexander began his siege of Tyre. It's when the letters were issued. um, Darius knew what was coming. Ladies and gentlemen, this is when history is rudely interrupted by the tale of Alexander's silver shields. This is real, ladies and gentlemen. This is real. So... Knowing the chain of events, ladies and gentlemen, of course, the siege in Gaza was next. We've already told you that Alexander was quite put off because nobody from Jerusalem would help him with his siege of Tyre. The rest is history. You better realize and remember this March of return going on, ladies and gentlemen. 
Brian has come right out and told you the major players involved uh, with that, and the Palestinians are the least of them. But Brian has got one more thing he's got to talk about, and he better do it quick. Because he needs to discuss the last seal on his timeline. Brian, you better make it quick. I, And that's just it. I've forgotten to bring that up, everybody. I stated all those dates previous on that third, up to the third seal. That fourth on the timeline I have in front of me falls on September 20th. That is the exact same date in Alexander the Great's timeline when that lunar eclipse had fallen that had caused great consternation among the Persians, had caused the Macedonians to ask a question, and they said, well, this is a good thing. Back over to you, Matthew. With that in mind, in the backdrop of everything that happened, and Brian described the seize of the siege of, well, Gaza, Palestine in general, you better start looking to this Palestinian march of return. You better get your eyes wide open really quick because you are running out of time for these things to happen. And what Brian and I are saying is that this sign of war is not good. And you need to spend some time in prayer if that's not what you do on a daily basis. Because if war does break out, you need to understand that your government's already passed it. Now they can even take your daughters. Very few watchmen reported on it. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, now the United States government can um, – yeah. They can draft your daughters now along with your sons. With that in mind, ladies and gentlemen, until next time, God bless. Godspeed. <laughs>